Good morning, everyone, and welcome to First Things First. I'm Jenna Wolf alongside Nick Wright, Kevin Wilds. Chris Broussard is with us on a Monday morning. We got a lot to get to today. There's so much NFL stuff leading up to the draft on Thursday. But if Broussard is here, we got to start with his GOAT, and that's Michael Jordan. So here we go. As of this morning, guys, it's been 40 days now since the NBA was officially shut down. Last night, however, the NBA was front and center. The first two episodes of the Last Dance documentary aired, chronicling Michael Jordan's final season with the Chicago Bulls. No spoiler alerts, please. I'm only two episodes in. Really want to know how it all ends. But Nick, let's kick this off with you. What was your biggest takeaway from last night? Well, for people, if they missed it, it is about the last season of the Bulls dynasty, but it also takes us back to the very beginning of the Bulls dynasty, or the very beginning of Jordan's run in Chicago, I should say, in the mid-80s. And my biggest takeaway was further confirmation that if you are a transcendent superstar when it comes to basketball, if you are going to be one of the all-time, all-time greats, it is instant. Michael Jordan was 23 years old, and he scored 63 points in a playoff game against one of, if not, the greatest team ever up to that point, the 86 Celtics. When Kareem was 23 years old in his second year in the league, he won league MVP en route to winning finals MVP. Duncan's 23, and he's finals MVP. Wilt's 23, and he sets a then-NBA record 53 points in a playoff game. Go up and down the list. Bill Russell, 23 and a champion. Kevin Durant, 23 and makes his first NBA finals. Kobe Bryant, when he was truly 1A to 1B to Shaq's 1A. 23 years old. LeBron James, the 48 special against Detroit. Well, he was 22, but we should expect that. The point is, though, that all of these guys, there is no, are they going to get there? Uh, is there? I'm not sure. It's if you, if you are that type of player, it is like that. And for the vast majority of those guys, in fact, for all of them, except for Magic, it also was in their second time in the playoffs. One time you have a, you figure it out. Second time through the playoffs, you start to take over. <clears throat> and it was a reminder to me, Wilds, that for Jordan, we look at Jordan as being the greatest player ever for some, or certainly at that point, the greatest player ever once he started winning championships. But for the guys he was competing against, Wilds, they looked at him as potentially the greatest player in the league by game 100, by game 120, and that's what we saw last night, Kevin. Yeah, that's interesting, Nick. I looked back and I was surprised to see so much Roy Williams in the documentary. So I looked at it, I was like, oh, you see Roy Williams, and you see Dean Smith, and you see Bobby Knight. So out of the most winningest coaches, he had three of the top five. So I thought that part was fascinating. Um, I thought the most interesting thing in the, of the whole documentary was Scottie Pippen's contract. I thought Scottie Pippen taking less money and prioritizing the stability of his family was an honorable decision, even if it proved not to be the correct financial decision. I thought that was fantastic. Um, here's the Bulls' top six salaries from that season of 97, 98. And there you see Pippen way down at the bottom, number six. I also thought off of that contract, when he elects to have surgery, that you started to see how great Phil was. They asked Phil, they said, Phil, are you um, concerned or did that upset you that Scotty purposely missed the beginning of the season? He was said no. And you saw some real zen-like qualities from Phil. So I thought Scotty's decision 
to make the honorable choice to prioritize his family was fascinating. And the Zen master really giving us a little glimpse in what made that team so successful. Hey, Broussard, you were all over this back then. You covered the NBA back in 97. What was your biggest takeaway from what you saw last night? My biggest takeaway was that it didn't have to end that early. And, and early might sound strange to people yeah. because they obviously won six championships. But that second three-peat team was broken up prematurely. And that is something that bothered me when I was watching this yesterday because Michael Jordan said it after winning championship number five. We deserve the right to defend what we've built. Let somebody else beat us on the court. Don't let our front office just dismantle us. Scottie Pippen was still fairly young, went to Houston and Portland after that season and had some good years. Jordan was still the best player in the world. You know, Dennis Rodman still has some basketball left in him. You obviously had the great coach in Phil Jackson. And it just bothered me to no end that Jerry Krause destroyed that team before it was time. Now, would they have gone on to win their fourth championship in a row? I don't know, but I would have loved to have seen them play Tim Duncan and David Robinson of the Spurs, which would have yes. been the matchup if they had gotten to the finals in 99. And I tell you this, and I don't want, I, I know there's going to be a lot of comparisons to the players of today, and particularly LeBron James. I don't think we should do that with every little issue. However, when you look at LeBron ushering in this era of player empowerment, you see why. And a lot of people who've criticized him for that should actually appreciate now what he's done when you look at the fact that Jordan, Phil Jackson, Scottie Pippen, the way they were treated in that last season in Chicago. For Jerry Cross to say to Phil Jackson, you could go 82-0 and 0 and this is your last year, that makes no sense whatsoever. And so I, Scottie Pippen, is, as uh, was said earlier, the 122nd highest paid player in the league. That's horrible. And so you see why LeBron, and don't get mad at LeBron and Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis, and these guys who are now taking their future and their destiny into their own hands because they don't think management or ownership will always have their best interest at heart. And we saw that in this documentary. That's such an interesting point. We are going to discuss that. But, you know, so much of Michael Jordan's personal life has been chronicled. So much of what he did on the court has already been chronicled. And then you see everything play out last night leading up to that final season. Nick, what... What, if anything, surprised you from what you saw? Well, so two, two points. One, in quick response to Broussard, which I think was a great point, it, that we now look at it like it was broken up prematurely. I do wonder if that actually was good for the legend of Michael Jordan that we never saw him lose. Yeah. Because that 98 years, spoiler alert for folks that don't know it, they were teetering. They got, they got taken seven games by a good but far from great Pacers team. They were on fumes in those NBA finals en route to beating the Jazz. So you do feel like had Jerry Krause not broken it up, it would have broken up on its own. And then maybe Jordan isn't the perfect six for six, which I know so many people hold in, in better regard than if you were six for seven or six for eight. But Jenna, to answer your question, what was I most surprised by? And this is, a, there's a famous quote by a fictional character, Rust Cole. 
It's time is a flat circle. I have a new quote that I hope can gain something close to that, to that notoriety. All right. And the quote is this. Old people be lying. Okay? Old people be lying. <laughs> and here's what I mean. It's not going to take off. How, Zion Williamson <laughs> comes back. And his first Lies. game back, he's on a minute's restriction. And we are told it is the softening of America. It is, it is young folks run amok. And it wasn't like this back in the day. That was a minute's restriction. I watched a game in the mid-80s last night. Michael Jordan was on a second restriction. The GM came down, said 17 seconds, he cannot play. I've heard for the last few years, Broussard, that tanking is a new thing that Daryl Morey and Sam Hinkie and all these analytical people invented, and it's the bane of basketball existence. I watched a team in the mid-80s last year that tried to potentially tank their way out of the playoffs. So to that I say, old people be lying. What is old is new, what is new is old. And Broussard, <laughs> I put it on you as the resident basketball historian, not the resident old person, but you might be the oldest person on say, the show, to I'm remind old. America that it's always <laughs> been like this, Broussard. You know what, Nick? I have to give you kudos. That was a great uh, quote you just gave, old people be lying, because I looked at it the same way. Michael Jordan and Danny Ainge went golfing the day before he scored 63 points against the Celtics. All we hear is, oh, they hated each other guys back then. There was no friendship. These guys were arch enemies. Jordan and Magic didn't get along. Jordan and Bird, Jordan hated the Celtics. No, I, I, I know Isaiah Thomas, the legend. He would go into the uh, Celtics locker room during the finals before he got there and bask in their winning go to the Lakers locker room because he was friends with Magic and bask in there winning. He's told me that's how I learned how to win. He was close with Kevin McHale. He, McHale let him come along for the ride and learn from the Celtics. So, you know, this notion that the players of yesteryear were so tough and hated each other. No, Jordan and Ainge were out golfing. They were golfing buddies, for goodness sake. So Nick is right. Old people be lying. Older people than me. Oh, God, don't give this hey, any credence. what surprised you? <laughs> um, well, before I get to my surprise, because I missed it the first time, I need to say total transparency. Congratulations. My wife is an executive producer on the film. She's upstairs. Libster, we're saying nice things about you. Um, and the entire team <laughs> that made this documentary happen. Like, I've been in sports for 25 years, and I've heard about this footage for 20 years. So I've just... Big kudos to everyone in the entire team that made this happen. My other big surprise, and I think this will play out later in later episodes, was how hard it is to be Michael Jordan. And it's when the audio guy wants an autograph, and at the end of that Paris game, a player comes over like, can I have your armband? And Michael's like, yeah, whatever. I think that he is under an insane microscope, and it's going to play out later in the documentary of how actually difficult it was to live his everyday life. All right, well, we got two episodes last night, so we have a lot to dive into, which we will get to later in the program. We are going to take a little break. Here's a message from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Right now, we cannot be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong, to stay connected, to stay focused. We have to work to inspire, to innovate to build new solutions. But for all of this to work, 
We have to work together. At ZipRecruiter, we connect employers and people every day. But today is different. We are partnering with first responders, government officials, the medical community, the innovators, and the manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make sure we are finding the right people for the right jobs right now. Let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. Back here on First Things First, now joined by Ethan Sherwood-Strauss, who just released his new book, The Victory Machine, The Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty. Ethan, good morning. We're going to jump right in. There's so much to cover here. The book itself covers such a wide range of, of topics, all things Warriors. I think the widest, there it is, the widest is probably what went down with Kevin Durant. You said before the book was published, you reach out to KD. And he texted you back. I want to make sure I got this right. He wrote, bleep you, uh, bleep your sources, and let me just round this out, bleep your book, which pretty much covers that. I'm curious, has, uh, and I think you thoroughly enjoyed it, too. Um, has Kevin yeah. Durant reached out to you since the book has been released? And if not, how surprised are you by that? Um, he hasn't. I'm not surprised by that. I think... Uh Maybe that's a sign of progress. I don't know. It's uh, he used to really monitor what was being said about him uh, in the Bay Area media. And perhaps now in a new situation, he, he may have moved on. But I did appreciate that. If you reach out to somebody uh, for comments, uh, it's not always as colorful as that. Sometimes it's just a no comment if people don't want to deal with you or no response. So that response was just fine with me. I, I can't recommend the book strongly enough. Uh, it's a super easy fast read, and it's not just about Kevin Durant. If you're an NBA fan, it gets into the pre, not only pre-Durant, the pre-Steph Warriors. It gives you a good look on Joe Lacob, on Bob Myers. It's a really, really well done book, but we're obviously going to focus most of this time on the Durant piece of it. I walked away from the book, Ethan, saying, kind of confirming that if there's one thing Durant could fix and it would change his life, it would be an insecurity level that is not commensurate with his talents, abilities, or successes. Do you agree with that? And having been around him for a few years, if you agree, what do you think the source of that is? I mean, I might agree with that, but this is what's so complicated is that the great players often have lopsided personalities. I mean, it's not a normal thing to achieve so much. Just look at Michael Jordan in the last dance. He wasn't the nicest guy in the world. And you have to wonder with Kevin Durant, I mean, he's always been a basketball genius, but you have to wonder if that insecurity and trying to prove to everybody that you belong and that you're great, uh, that insecurity might have been the fuel that made him as great as he was. And maybe we would tell stories about it like we do MJ cheating at cards about how he's so competitive. But with KD in the Internet age, we almost see too much of it. And it just leads to more criticism than it does to a hagiography. Hey uh, Ethan, I want to follow up there. It, let's alternate universe for a moment. The Warriors, the first season goes exactly the way it actually did. But starting with that parade, it becomes just a tribute to Durant. The, the, there's none of the miss, you know, kind of the steps, the, the PR guy and GM don't step in it with saying, well, Steph earned it. The folks like me in the media say, Kevin Durant has clearly become the greatest player in the world. If all of that had happened, is Kevin Durant still a warrior? I think so. 
I think so. I think there's all this focus on Draymond, Draymond, the blow up with Draymond. And I think it's pretty clear with Kevin Durant. I mean, what do you guys think? I can't claim to read his mind, but what do you guys think? Do you think that he's more influenced and bothered by the external conversation or the internal conversation in the locker room? I think we all know what the answer is to that particular question. And what happened is AD beats LeBron in the finals and the conversation the next season doesn't adjust. We say you joined a 73 win team. We don't think you're the best player. We still think LeBron is the best player. And then he does it again. And the conversation is the same. Uh, If you talk to people around the Warriors, that really bothered him, bothered him immensely because it seemed like he got a raw deal from his perspective. Ethan, congratulations on the book. Draymond had some interesting uh, quotes yesterday. He was doing a compare contrast with his Warriors and Jordan's Warriors after the last dance. And his main issue was Phil put the last dance literally on the first page. This is it for us. And he thought that that helped galvanize the team. And he compared that to the Warriors where there was it was sort of uh, the elephant in the room, he called it. Durant's probably going to leave, but we're not really addressing it. And that was a constant stress the entire time. Do you feel like that was a, uh, well, I guess, what are your thoughts on Draymond's take on the comparisons of the Bulls season and the Warriors season? I think he's right about that. But, you know, when people say that, you know, Kevin Durant, he didn't have to tell anybody anything. It's his decision. Uh, I also understand that as well. But here's the thing with the elephant in the room. Yeah, it was an elephant in the room. Uh, but you got to combine it with the other factors, such as AD was pretty miserable that season. If KD was happy, uh, if the elephant in the room was happy, if it was a happy elephant, uh, then I don't think there would have been as much of an issue with them being in limbo. They could have dealt with it. If he was happy, go lucky, smiling, hey, let's win this championship, and I'm going to figure out the contract later on. Uh, I think that situation would have been amenable, but it was the combination of not saying it and also not being very happy that I think was a drag on the other guy. I think even one of the takeaways from the book was just how seemingly unfulfilled Kevin Durant seems to be on a day-in and day-out basis that he's on this constant quest to find something. He just is not exactly sure what that something is. I'm curious what you think, which decision that he made was more interesting to you, leaving the Thunder for a 73-win Warriors team or leaving the Warriors after three straight trips to the finals to join the Nets? Which decision did you scratch your head a little bit more with? I think the second decision and because of Nets. I mean, the Nets part, let's face it, I don't want to offend any Brooklyn Nets fans who might be watching. Um, I know that they do exist, even though not in as large numbers as Knicks fans do. But it's just a franchise that you don't associate a lot of lore and glory with. And they, you know, they had some good pieces and uh, his friend Kyrie Irving was going there. But it just seems like a very just strange decision. Maybe it will be validated. Maybe he'll win a championship in Brooklyn and he can laugh at us. But the, not the leaving the Warriors part. That made sense. The story had run out. Right. But going to the Nets, the Nets, that was my reaction. Ethan, the first time, I think it was the first time you and I ever spoke one-on-one or spoke, it was, I think, via Twitter DM, was after one of KD's, one of the few times he was universally praised by the media was when he gave real basketball analysis about being top locked against the Clippers defense. And everyone's like, wow, this is so, so informative. But it was, that was also during... A bit of a cold war between he and Steve Kerr in media comments. 
Kerr would say one thing and Katie would come out and be like, oh, I thought we were about joy, not playing with anger. Kerr would say, I want Kevin to be more aggressive. And Katie would say, I just play within the flow of the offense. And you talk about that in your book. It's a tough question. Was Steve Kerr relieved, do you believe, by Kevin Durant's decision? Hmm. I don't think he was relieved because I don't think he saw it going any other kind of way. I think he was relieved to be without that particular issue. I think at times this season, uh, losing a bunch of games was trying for Kerr. But people and institutions typically, they, they care more about their own power within the institution than how the institution is doing. And I think coaches, they like to coach as much as they like to win. And so, yeah, I think there was an element that, thank God this is all over. You know, this was good for what it was. It was great to win championships. It was great to compete. But yeah, I think there was an element of relief there. I, I want to follow up with the Steph Curry question. I don't know if KD will read the book. If he does, I'm sure one of his takeaways will be, once again, Ethan, just <laughs> loving on Steph. Steph can do no wrong. I mean, the golden boy does everything right. But what is true is Steph did something unprecedented. And for folks like me, it was, all, it was something that was so unprecedented, I criticized him a bit for it, which was, why do you want this guy on your team? Don't you think you guys can win without him and you should go through him? And I know there are folks within the Warriors that believe the only reason they didn't win the title in 15, or I'm sorry, 16, was Draymond's suspension. It wasn't LeBron, it wasn't Kyrie, it was Draymond's suspension, or they would have been two-time defending champs. If they believed that and believed they could have continued winning, given how it ended and how uncomfortable not only the last season but seeming the last season and a half were, do you think Steph has any regret? about recruiting KD the way he did when Steph was the one guy who could have said, no, nah, this ain't happening. I don't think he does, uh, mainly because Steph just isn't somebody who typically has regrets. He's a very positive mindset kind of guy. But also, so I think what's different with what happened with Steph versus KD is this. KD was always going for that number one spot. It was in his midst. He was a hype high school player, one of the greatest college players we've ever seen as a freshman. Somebody like LeBron James, similar, the chosen one on Sports Illustrated. Steph Curry briefly became the face of the league, kind of out of nowhere. Nobody around him, even if they thought he was good, better than what others thought he was, and even if Steph thought he was better than what others thought he was, thought he was going to be that, the number one guy in the league. And I think that spotlight burned bright. Steph mania was crazy. I was at practices. People were jumping out of bushes, trying to get an autograph or a picture. And it was just stressful you know there were cars that were following him on the freeway like 30 miles and so i think that an element in all of this is that steph did enjoy not having to bear all of that after making that decision hey Ethan, you recently said the book that building making... dynasty oh. oh go ahead sorry wilds sorry about that go sure? ahead okay i jumped uh, in i got excited we have okay. ethan with us so <laughs> hey, it's a good book uh, ethan <laughs> it's called book. the uh the making and unmaking of the warriors dynasty are you sure, and is Warriors ownership sure, that this dynasty is over? They've got a lottery pick coming up. Everybody's going to be healthy again. What's Joe Lakeup and the ownership team, what are they thinking about the end of their dynasty? I mean, Joe Lakeup would reject the premise of this. Joe Lakeup is one of those speak it into existence, chest puffed out. If I say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. This Andrew Wiggins deal is better than what you could possibly imagine. We are completely rebuilt. 
and we are going to take the lead by storm. That's his mentality. I think that the people below him have more of a realistic take. Steve Kerr said before this whole lockdown of really the country and the world, uh, we're never going to be that team that we were. We're never going to be that team in two, uh, 2017. That is over. We will never get there again. He pronounced it with the finality. Now, they could maybe get back into the playoffs with their savvy vets and with their stars, uh, maybe even make a run. But I just don't see this team as a prohibitive favorite anytime soon. So then, based off that, it becomes for the Warriors building a dynasty versus keeping a dynasty. You recently said building one seems to be easier. Why do you think that is? Well, it's certainly more fun. I mean, the ascent is certainly more fun, right? I don't know if it's easier but it seems to be more emotionally fulfilling. You know, there's a part of this book where Steve Kerr is reading an article about the Milwaukee Bucks and their ascension. And he just throws his phone because he just misses the rise. Just the rise to greatness is so much more fun than having it and holding it. And you could see that with the Warriors and how not so happy they got at the end, especially Kevin Durant. And you see it in this documentary with the Bulls at a certain point, winning has diminishing returns and the difference between winning Three championships versus four championships just isn't a lot compared to all the struggle and strife that there is to get it. So I don't know if it's easier to build it, but I just know that it's a lot more fun. Ethan, we'll let you out of here on this one. We got about a minute left. It's another hypothetical. You write in the book about how Kevin Durant got something of a hero's send off in large part because of how tragically his final game with the Warriors ended. If KD hadn't torn his Achilles and they just lose in the NBA Finals, Clay, Clay still gets hurt, they lose. How do you think the reception in the Bay Area would have been to his decision? And how do you think he would have been remembered in the Bay Area if there wasn't this tragic ending to it? Um, I think he would have been remembered worse. I think the reception would not have been as good. I think that the injury was a mitigating factor. And you know, I think KD, unless I missed it, never in his outro, thank the fans or anything like that. It was quite unceremonious. And the Warriors are trying to, you know, we're going to retire your number. Here's a mural. Uh, so I think the fans are going to embrace him if he ever embraces them back. And I think a lot of that does have to do with that untimely, gruesome injury. The book is called The Victory Machine, The Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty. Ethan Sherwood-Strauss, thank you so much for being with us this morning. First things first, now joined by Ravens Pro Bowl quarterback Robert Griffin III. Great to have you with us this morning. These are real interesting times, Robert, that we're living through. You recently accepted the all-in challenge. Tell us a little bit about what that is and what it means to you. Yeah, the all-in challenge, uh, something Gary Vee reached out to me and told me what they were doing. So uh, got together with a, a bunch of other celebrities and we're putting together experiences for people. Um, and really the goal is to have the auction raise millions of dollars to feed the needy. These are people that have you know, been in trouble since before the coronavirus hit. And now we're just trying to do all we can to try to give back during these trying times. So for me, uh, I'm offering up an opportunity for someone to be flown out to Florida uh, for three days, stay in a 10,000 plus square foot mansion and get trained by me for three days. And not only that, take them to a Baylor game, 
Yeah, the whole Baylor experience and and all that and all the money that they they donate for the auction goes towards feeding uh, those people who are in need right now. So it's been a lot of fun uh, just trying to do everything we possibly can to help everybody in need. It's unbelievable work you and some of your fellow luminaries are doing. And on behalf of the show, thank you. On behalf of everybody, thank you guys for what you're doing to help out when we all in a time when we all need to pull together. I. I want to talk to you about something you said yesterday, which is that you can definitely still be a starting quarterback in this league. That comment, it made me think of something Jeremy Lin said about a year ago. Jeremy Lin was doing some forum, and he said, you know, it feels like the NBA's moved on from me. Like, I'm not even considered an NBA starting point guard anymore. And I wonder if you, at times, share some of those feelings that for some reason, when we talk about quarterback openings, or potential starters that guys who you've accomplished more than or guys who you've consistently performed better than, their name gets discussed ahead of yours. Do you feel that way? And if so, why do you think that's happened? Uh, I don't feel that way, Nick. I feel like um, whatever you guys choose to talk about is what you choose to talk about. Uh, my job as a Baltimore Ravens quarterback right now is to do everything I can to be ready to play uh, help Lamar do all the things uh, that he can and continue to learn and just use my experience to, to try to aid to that locker room. And I feel like I've done that. And when my time comes, it'll come. But uh, I don't look at the comparison to Jeremy Lin or anything that he's going through uh, as impacted me in my career at all. Oh, no, uh, ill will towards anybody that's talking about me, not talking about me. Uh, it doesn't matter at this point. It's just about going out and doing my job. Robert, um, you put me in a really awkward spot as a Patriots fan because at the last game of the season, NFL Films was in your locker room and you guys were handing out game balls and coach got a game ball and you got a game ball and you made a beautiful speech. And I ended the YouTube clip and I said, oh, geez, do I love the Ravens? You guys have just a great team and great enthusiasm. And I couldn't help it. I'm like, I think I'm becoming a Ravens fan. Can you talk about the chemistry of that team and what makes that team special? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, a special place, uh, no doubt. I think it starts at the top with Steve Bishotti and Eric DeCosta and Ozzie uh, and, and John. You know, Coach Harbaugh, he's, he's been amazing. So uh, it was a blessing last year for me to be able to get that start uh, against the Steelers and, and help uh, our team secure the best record in franchise history and eliminate the Steelers from the playoffs. And you can just see the camaraderie through the year from – you know, Mark Ingram, Lamar, all these guys, big trust, and the whole nation seemed like they were on our side. And, you know, unfortunately, we, we came up short in the, in the playoff game, but you could see that our team is rising, uh, and it's been a fun process and, and something that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. Robert, I wanted to piggyback off something Nick had asked earlier. You really have embraced your backup role uh, behind Lamar on the, on the Ravens. So we wanted to throw a, a hypothetical question at you because we talked about this with Tom Brady. You know, you know, how much does success mean, you know, as opposed to how much does team success mean? Would you rather win a Super Bowl as a backup or would you rather be a starter on a team that misses the playoffs? Hmm. Uh, I think I've been presented with this question before, and, and I think uh, that there's no right answer to it. Obviously, in my current role, if we were to go on and win a Super Bowl, uh, I'd be the happiest person on the planet. Um, this is what uh, I've been called to do uh, temporarily, and, and if, if we're able to reach the, those heights, um, I think it would be a very special experience for me. Uh, but I think every quarterback in the league wants to be a starter. Um, we work to be starters. 
So if you ask me, hey, uh, RJ, you think you're going to be a starter again? Uh, if my answer isn't yes, then I shouldn't be playing football. So um, that's kind of the way I view that. Uh, no one wants to be on a losing team. Uh, no one wants to uh, not be playing. But uh, in my current role, my job is to help the Baltimore Ravens win. And if we're continuing to do that like we did last year, on into this season and the next, then, you know, that's that's me doing my job. Robert, tomorrow's obviously the NFL draft. Joe Burrow's going to go number one. Tua probably goes somewhere shortly thereafter. It, you are One could argue, in fact, I have argued, you had the single most successful, single most prolific rookie season any quarterback has ever had. What advice would you give either of those young men or any rookie starting quarterback in this league if they're trying to have some of the instantaneous success that you did? Uh, mostly I would tell them just continue to, to be themselves, come in, go to work. Guys appreciate it. The vets appreciate it when you come into the building and you don't talk and you kind of just try to learn the playbook, try to, you know, go with the flow and, and lead from the front. Um, I think it's, it, it was a, an experience for me going into Washington with a lot of veteran guys and, and winning their trust and allowing us to, to go to the lengths that we did in 2012. And, um, those guys just have to remember that it's still football. Uh, it's still a lot of fun and to not worry about the naysayers. Big news today, Robert, Gronk reuniting with Tom Brady. What was your reaction to the news, and how successful do you think that pairing will be? Oh, man, uh, it was crazy news, right? You know, the NFL's doing trades with the WWE now. It's uh, it's a new world, and um, <laughs> I think, I think it's, it's really cool. It's really cool, honestly, to... To, to see the 24-7 champion from the WWE get traded, uh, come out of retirement. I can only imagine how many guys are going to try to, you know, do a couple of wrestling moves on him to get that title off of him. But, um, you know, Tom Brady's a great, great quarterback. I, I think a lot of guys would want to come out of retirement to play with him uh, on the football field. So don't blame Gronk at all. All right, here we go. We're going to take a slight turn. We're going to do some rapid-fire questions. First thing that comes to mind when I ask you this, question number one, the player you would most want a jersey swap with? Ooh, man. Probably John Elway. Uh, I know he's not playing anymore, but oh. growing up, I was a Bronco fan, and, um, you know, watching John do his thing out there and, and doing it in a, in a different way, a little unconventionally uh, for the majority of his career was fun to watch, so I'd want to do one with John Elway. All right, here we go. Moving on. Favorite TV show to binge during quarantine? Man, uh, there was a lot. Love is Blind. Um, Ozark was great. You know, so uh, I'm actually looking forward to this show coming out now. It's called The Last Kingdom. I think it comes out on Sunday. It's, it's going to be fun. But uh, the one that takes the cake right now is probably The Last Dance. You know, watching MJ go through everything that they did in that last year. As a fan, I was, I believe, seven or eight years old at that time, so I didn't really know a lot of those things. I didn't know what they were going through, but to, to watch it on TV and see how it all unfolded and see that they still won a title um, is very interesting. I look forward to the rest of those episodes. Love that. All right, last question real quick. If NFL players did have a walk-up song, what would your walk-up song be? My walk-up song, man. I don't know. This, this is the last what question, so I have up? to take. I have to take this opportunity to to talk to my man Nick. Um, 
You know, when I got signed in 2018, oh. Nick said that I was I wasn't a it wasn't a smart decision for the Ravens to sign me. And um, so I wonder, like over the past couple of years, has any of those feelings that you had towards me in 2018, even back to 2016, changed? Um, so you because you're saying a lot of pleasantries. To oh, me I now. loved it. I just wondered that. No, 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 no. This is this is totally fair. And it's and I and I'm glad you said this. You're absolutely right. I was highly concerned about your ability to stay healthy and I was highly concerned about whether or not you would a player that had accomplished what you did accept a backup role and you proved me a thousand percent wrong now I wasn't on TV in any national capacity when you were having your high successes so you couldn't hear me speak your praises then but I think it's totally fair and I don't think anyone ever doubted your football character but I do think people doubted whether or not what you would be as a backup. But let me just follow up with it real quick. Robert, for you, on that note, did you, did you, did the doubt ever creep into your mind? Some of the doubt that I was expressing that, man, I, I tough luck, I just keep, I'm run to the sideline, I get hurt. Like some of the bad luck things, did that doubt ever creep into your mind? Uh, I wouldn't say the doubt crept in my mind, but um, it's just the, the notion of fighting that tag of being injury prone and and what I've, what I've said in the past is that I'm not injury prone. I've, I've been injured less than a lot of quarterbacks have in their in their NFL careers, even in less amount of time. And I just needed that opportunity. So I'm blessed that the Ravens gave me an opportunity. And in 2017, when I was out of football, yeah, the, the doubt of will I get another opportunity crept in. Um, but it's one of those things of this is the advice I would give the rookies that are coming in this year. Don't really you know worry about when people are talking about you or what they're saying. Um, just go out and do do your job to the best of your ability. There's just some some of those things that were being repeated by you, Nick, were things that were keeping me out of football in 2017. And um, you know, I looked forward I looked forward to proving everybody wrong and showing them that look, I'm not I'm not a bad guy. I'm, I'm, I've never been a bad guy. And uh, the Ravens saw that. And I think the camaraderie that that we've had over the the past couple seasons uh, and the way that I was able to help lead us to that victory against the Steelers showed that showed how the team rallied around. Uh, everybody on that team, and, and I've been a, a uniting force as opposed to a, devi- a divisive one. It's totally fair, by the way. Right, and I, well, I just I just say this before we go. It's just real quick. Listen, I give opinions for a living. Sometimes guys get to go out and prove me wrong. And I, I'm ha- I'm, I hope you believe this. I'm legitimately happy for you, Robert. And it was never intended to be personal. If you felt the comments were keeping you out of football, that's a separate discussion, but I'm happy for your success, and I do think you deserve another shot as a starting quarterback, and I wish you luck, man. I appreciate that, Nick, and, and understand it's no hard feelings. I just, uh, it's one thing for people to talk about you, but it's another thing for the facts to be all wrong. So, um, nothing personal. I appreciate you. I appreciate your opinions. I think you have a, a great intellect, and don't let them give you a hard time for all your LeBron praise. Love what you're doing with the all in challenge. Thank you so much for being with us. Best of luck this season with the Ravens. We got to take a break. Back here now, joined by former All-American Ohio State quarterback Jeff Okuda. Jeff, I have to believe you've had tomorrow night circled on your calendar, draft night, for a very long time. Before we get into where your head is at and whether or not you're nervous heading into that, I just want to say you are here on behalf of Old Spice. You smell amazing, by the way. Uh, Take us through your partnership (laughs) with Old Spice. 
Okay, so obviously we can't physically be at the draft this year. So Old Spice and NFL teamed up to give us a, a virtual red carpet experience. And um, I mean, everyone can check out what we have in store at, at the hashtag uh, NFL draft red carpet. Jeff, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's been over 20 years since a corner was taken in the top three. Now, obviously, you don't know where you're being taken tomorrow night, but number three to Detroit is a place a lot of people have speculated that you'd be taken. What I wonder is whether you go three, four, five, wherever it is, how much of your pedigree, being a number one recruit out of high school, being a starter as a true freshman, being a super high achiever at every level, do you think has prepared you for what the expectations will be of being a top five NFL draft pick? I think that um, you know, all the pressure that comes along with it, uh, I've kind of been prepared for the whole life. Because, like you said, with Auburn being number one recruit, cornerback, uh, um, you know, cornerback of Ohio State. So I mean, I'm ready for the next challenge. Jeff, you were talking about, um, I think the quote is, when athleticism fades away, technique will always be there. I think it was an interview with Peter Schrager that you did. What about the technical parts about the game do you really enjoy, and what are you looking forward to bringing to the next level? So for me, I, I, love, I love watching receivers, love watching offenses, and I also love watching myself. So I like to really be really critical of my technique, uh, look at little things I can do to get better, and also look at ways I could add other, other cornerbacks uh, uh, great parts of the game to my game. All right, Jeff, let's look way forward for just a second. When the 2020 season is over, why will you beat out your former Ohio State teammate, Chase Young, for Defensive Rookie of the Year? Uh, so, I mean, I think it's a passing league, so I have a really good chance to go against some great receivers and uh, show where I stand to the whole league, rest of the league. Let's talk about Chase for a minute, Jeff, because there's, again, we don't know how the draft's going to go. But it could be a Buckeye, Buckeye, two, three. Chase going two and you going three, maybe flip-flopped. We'll see what happens with the quarterbacks. I imagine you actually didn't have a great view of, of a lot of Chase Young highlights. You're turning your back, you're covering a guy downfield, and all of a sudden he stops running. You're like, oh, because Chase has a strip sack. When you're in the film room, when you're in meetings, when you're in practice, what jumped off the page to you most? What impressed you the most about Chase? I think his first step is just crazy. Um, he's able to get into the backfield so fast, and, and he finishes on the quarterback. So when I'm covering, i got to take into note what kind of throws I could be getting because he has that crazy ability to do it. Jeff, I think you said you look up to Patrick Peterson and Stephen Gilmore. When you watch tape, is there a specific technique that you incorporate to your game, and how long does it take you to put, incorporate that technique? Like, have you watched tape and say, oh, I'm going to go practice that right now, or on the next game, I'm going to do that? Do you have a specific story where watching tape has immediately yielded results? Oh, definitely. So just, just watching uh, Gilmore, watching his press man technique, uh, I think I, I want to add a little bit of that to my game, just the patience of the line of scrimmage, so... Just working with uh, one of the corners at Ohio State, Damon Arnett. We used to just drill it every single day. And then we got to spring practice, and the game had just slowed down for us so much. 
Jeff, there are quite a few quarterbacks coming out this year. Joe Burrow, Tua, Tungavailoa, and Justin Herbert projected to be the top three. Which quarterback in your draft class do you think has the highest ceiling? So, I mean, me and Tua were at the opening together um, my senior year of high school. And, and he just tore that thing up, and everyone's talking about him. So, off of just seeing it live in person, I got to go with Tua. Jeff, we were talking briefly before we went on the air about your level of nerves leading into tomorrow, which might be the biggest day of your life up to this point. You know you're getting drafted, but you don't know where you're going to have to move to, who's going to draft you, someone's going to trade up. Who right now in your circle is the most nervous? Is it you? Is it is it a friend, a family member? Who do you think is the most nervous right now for Jeff Okuda? Well, I think my aunt. She's pretty nervous just because it's like she, she's really protective over me and she doesn't know where I'm going to end up. So, I mean, she's, she's just really been asking a lot of questions, uh, really excited, and uh, I guess we'll find out where I'm going tomorrow. Jeff, you had one of your combine interviews go viral when the reporter asked you about your uh, non-existent tendencies to be sloppy, which you are not. I think it went viral because it showed your poise and confidence in a potentially awkward situation. How does that poise and confidence that you have translate to the football field? Just the way I carry myself on the field, uh, try to keep it cool, uh, always have like a mild temperament. So I think that in a way it kind of frustrates the receivers because when they're talking, I'm just kind of chilling out there. And uh, I might say something every now and then, but... I just play the mental game, for real. So, Jeff, you posted a picture of you and LeBron James recently. I, I have to ask what that conversation was like. Did he give you advice? Did he share any stories with you? What did you guys talk about? Yeah, so he just told me um, coming to the next level, just always be level-headed. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. And the uh, most important part is just remember who you are at all times. You know, never let that. Um, yeah, you're in. Jeff, you, you seem like a very level-headed guy. Uh, I, know, I know a bit about your story, about your upbringing. It's somewhat of an inspirational one. A lot of guys in your position, when this moment comes, the first thing they think of is wanting to give back to some of those people that helped them get here. You're obviously going to come into an enormous amount of money in about 24, 36 hours. Have you thought about one thing, not for yourself, but for someone else that you're excited to be able to do with that money? Uh, yeah, so my sister, I just been trying to see how, how can I uh, further along for education. So uh, whether that's going to master's school, whether that's pursuing another, another bachelor's degree, uh, I just been kind of in constant communication with her about that. All right, Jeff, in 36 hours, as Nick mentioned, your life will change drastically. I know you're a little nervous. Take the words of LeBron James. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Enjoy the process, even though this year under quarantine, it'll be different than in years past. Thank you so much for being with us, for joining us, and hopefully you'll come back and join us again uh, at the next chapter of your life. Really appreciate your time today, Jeff. Good luck. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, we got to go. That's it for us. We are back here tomorrow morning. Stay safe. Stay healthy. See you tomorrow, everybody.